you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 9 and verse 16. Exodus chapter 9 and verse 16 says this, But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. If you ever wondered why you're on the planet, why do you exist? What's your reason for being? And what is your reasoning as to why God would affect your life, raise you up, build you up as a Christian, why God would do anything to add value to your life, why he would reconcile you back to him, why he would put you back together? It's found in this very scripture. So that he would raise you up for this very purpose that he might show his power through you, and that through you, his name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You know, the funny thing is, in our Christian context, we have a hard time with this. Something good happens in our life, and we're not quick to say, thank God, or look what God has done, or hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. God really came through in this one. But you meet someone who's a staunch Muslim, and at every turn, anything good that happens in their life, Allah be praised. Why have we as Christians been shouted down to the point that we can't even be as vocal, as vocal as those who celebrate Islam? Why have we become so, so, so diminished in our voice in our secular culture that we're not quick when we get that raised to say, thank God, look what God did in my life? that when our family gets put back together and it was broken and it was torn apart, that we aren't quick to say, look at what God is doing in the midst of my family. That when our bodies are healed from where they are sick and depraved, that we aren't first to shout, thank God, look at the miracle. The problem is, and I think most of the time, is because we, are, we don't understand the areas of influence that we really hold as Christian believers you know, we, we've been talking about this last month about the seven mountains, the religious mountain, the family mountain, the business mountain, the educational mountain, the government and military mountain, arts and entertainment, and the mountain. And there's very significant places where God wants to raise his people up to have positions of authority in order to shape culture. But with those, there are mimicked seven areas of personal influence. And they start, well, I'm going to go backwards. The first one is that we come to a place where if we grow our influence enough, we will have national influence. We'll have influence over the nation. But that can't come unless we have influence in our city, in our communities, in our local areas. But that can't come if we don't have influence in our local church. And we likely won't have influence in our local church if we don't have influence in our area of work, where every day we're going to work and putting in the time, the energy, and the effort to influence the people around us. We likely don't have influence in our day-to-day -day job situation if we don't have influence in our family. And I guarantee you, you don't have influence in your family if you first don't have influence between you and Jesus himself. That there isn't some type of reciprocal relationship that happens between you and God that you can wake up in the morning and say, how you doing, Jesus? And he can look down and say, how are you, son or daughter? There comes a place where we understand that as we build influence in one area or another, we start to maximize these spheres of influence. They start to grow larger and larger and larger. And if we are ever going to have an issue of, or a placement of national influence, it's not going to happen because we just woke up one day and the news cameras were shoved in our face. 
And eventually, people just want to hear what we have to say. It's going to happen because we build modes of influence. We start first personally, our relationship with Jesus Christ. We allow that to spread out into our family, and we affect our family and our kids and our spouse with the influence that we have from that deep-seated relationship between ourselves and God. And then once that family unit really has the influence model working, then we move on to our area of work our everyday jobs where we influence the lives of people around us. And that spills over into our local church community, our local community of faith. A family becomes more cohesive and knit together. And once we have learned to express our influence here in our local church body, then it bleeds out into our community and to our city and then finally into our nation. But it does not happen without this process. You can't skip the steps and hope to get where God is calling you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalms chapter 24 and verse 1. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the whole world and all who live in it. The Bible's really clear here, and it's clear throughout Scripture, that everything that is created, everything under the sun that has been created by the hand of God is His. It is His. It belongs to Him. It works for him. It is fashioned by him. It has no existence outside of him. You and I don't even know what it's like for our molecules to stick together without the presence of God. There are literally forces at work at a molecular level that we don't understand. We have a very vague scientific idea of why certain things have different bonds, but we don't know what holds them into place. We can't even identify the energy that keeps them in in, in motion and in movement. And it is the very presence of God intertwined in all of the earth. It is so vague of a concept that you hear it described in one uh, maybe early scientific writing as just ether, just something that's out there in the air. And later on, they start to assign values and positive and negatives to the electrons and protons and photons. But the facts are we are still experiencing and experimenting on what holds this universe together And we're never going to find the clue. We're never going to find the answer unless we turn to Jesus himself. And Psalms chapter 24 and verse 1 gives us the answer to the riddle that everything under the sun has been created by God and it is for him. And we are just privileged to live in it. God has an original intent for us here on planet Earth. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. We're going to jump into verse 13 here in just a minute. This is a, a very familiar portion of Scripture that the Lord would make us to have placement on the earth. If we're going to talk about taking our mountain, we have to talk about the idea that we are not called to be some lowly servant of others. There's a place to serve, and the Bible very much talks about having a servanthood mentality, but that's not because we are beaten down. That's not because we are to be subservient, either this group or that group. It's not because we can't ascend the hill. It's not because we can't take our rightful place in Christ. It's because even in our best days, even in all of our successes and mountaintop moments, God has still called us to serve others. That's different than understanding your placement in Christ. That we are to prosper in Deuteronomy chapter 28, we are to prosper in literally every way possible. That you are not to be a person that is held back simply because you have a lack of finances. You are not to be a person who is held back from their destiny, from their purpose, because your body isn't aligning with scripture and is not healed and whole. 
You are not someone who is destined to live in a cycle of depression forever and never get out of the cycle. Now, if, if, if you're unaware, Lori and I started a, a small podcast uh, last couple weeks, and last week we actually talked about the idea of mental illness in the church. And one of the things that we talked about was this idea that mental illness is like a faux pas. You can't talk about depression in the church, and you definitely can't say you're taking any medication because then people will think you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And the fact is, the Bible doesn't say that you shouldn't explore the best option for your health. The Bible does say that that is a temporary resolve and that God will ultimately bring healing. That we have a place to expect our bodies to be whole and healthy. And it might not come when we want it or how we want it, but for God to prosper our lives in every area, we have to believe him that even in the most devastating states, that our bodies, our physical bodies, our minds can be rehabilitated, reimagined, refashioned into the exact purpose and plan for God. We are called in Deuteronomy chapter 28 to fulfill God's overall plan for our life, for this nation, and for this world. We are called to receive God's ordained inheritance, that he has set aside a portion for his kids, that he says is yours if you will live in that promise, that there's a portion carved out of this world, carved out of heaven, that is ours if we will live in the promise of God and all of creation. As Deuteronomy chapter 28 says, is to reflect his glory. You and I are not void of the responsibility of reflecting God's glory. We've just run through springtime and we've seen plants just all over the landscape. And you see them in gardens of your neighbors. You see them on hillsides as wild flowers grow with almost no tending at all. And they pop up and they bud up and there's this small bud, this small head of the flower that comes up. And in that flower is the, or in that bud is the beauty and majesty of that flower. And as, as it starts to peel back that outer layer and show the colors and the majesty that is that flower, its head raises and positions itself towards the sun so that it can get the nutrients that it needs, so that it can draw on the atmosphere to pull in what it needs to reflect the glory that it has within itself. You and I are positioned the same way, that we are to reflect the glory of God as we turn our face towards his son. And that as we do that, we start to bud and to develop and to flourish into all that God has called us to. We are called just like the flower of the field to reflect the very glory of God as we step into our God-given destiny and purpose. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 13 the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to my command, the Lord your God, that I will give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top and never the bottom. Listen, God is making a statement, a very hard declarative statement. If you'll do what I asked, I will make you the head and not the tail. If you'll do what I ask, I'll put you above and not beneath. If you'll follow my leading and my guiding, if you'll follow my precepts, I promise you this thing won't fail and you'll have what you're going after. See, I think the problem with many Christians and most of us in times where there's lack in our lives and we're not seeing the full-on promises of God expressed the way we want them to or the way we expect them to, I think many times we forget this scripture that he does not say, if you follow religious rules, 
you're going to get what I've promised. He doesn't say if you come to church, even though church is important. He doesn't say if you pray hard enough and long enough, although prayer is important. He does not say in this scripture, if you give everything you have, then finally you will have done enough to earn my favor. No, he says, he says, commit. Commit to my statutes. Be careful to follow the commands of God. Let me give you an example of what that is. When I was a teenager, well, I should say when I was uh, coming up through college, and you know that 18, 20-year-old range, myself and a friend of mine, we were both pursuing ministry. And he got this wild-haired idea in his head that God had called him to just commit to Bible reading and study. And so he wasn't going to get a job. God was going to take care of him. God was going to feed him however the food came. God was going to care for his needs however that would come. And I looked at him. I said, dude, I love you. I trust you. And I trust you hear from God. But the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. Why are you the only person on the planet that God will go against his own written scripture? Now, the wonderful thing for this gentleman was he had very rich parents. There wasn't the Holy Spirit in that. That was mom and dad will take care of me. Hallelujah. A little Holy Ghost grunt there because some of you are feeling the same pressure. Oh, yeah, I do have something to fall back on, and maybe that's why I haven't done what God called me to. Ooh, we won't go there too long. That, that could hurt. Because we all have moments. We all have moments in life where God has called us and told us to step out, and we back off because we, this is safe. This is easy. And then we rationalize in our head, no, God must be calling me to what is safe and easy and known. He couldn't call me out into the unknown. He couldn't call me out into something that I can't actually put my finger on. He couldn't call me out in the murky waters and the waves that are choppy. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 13 and 14. Obey the commands of God. He didn't say that if you are an able-bodied man, do you have any right to skip work and not work and God's just going to miraculously rain down on you some type of provision. He said, go and work because there is something in work that is very valuable. The fact is, we know what is achieved through a, a sense of servant leadership when we give ourselves over to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 13 through 14, when we give ourselves over to God, honest work, doing what he's called us to do, we know that there's a sense of servant leadership that's built. And it doesn't come if we legislate. And it doesn't come through political activism. It comes because we have served our community in the vein that God had called us to, the mountain that he's placed us on. And we serve with everything that we have, and we will climb to the, to the highest points of that mountain. And for some of us, the highest point of that mountain for us might be here in our local community. And others of you might get national recognition. I don't know exactly the path that God's carved out for you, but I know that if you'll obey, that he has promised to bring you up that mountain. God's original intent for his investment in humanity was not to establish a religion. God did not intend when he said he was Lord over the Jewish people, over the Israelites, he did not intend to start the Jewish religion. When God claimed lordship through his Messiah, Jesus, he did not intend just to start another offshoot of Judaism to eventually be called Christianity. His intent was to be a nation of people that would love, serve, and honor God. He is interested in a theocracy. 
This might be bad policy and politics, but it's a very good definitive marker for our lives that we live in a kingdom and this kingdom, God is the ruler and reign, and he reigns over. That we don't get to set the rules, he does. That we don't get to, we don't get to uh, 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 tell the world of our importance. We only live under the banner that is Christianity, that is the flag and the cause of Christ. If you have your Bibles again, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 through 2 the beginning of this chapter, he says, he says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow his commands that I give you today, the Lord will set you high above all the nations of the earth. This is God talking to his people. He's talking, as I said before, he was interested in carving out a theocracy, a God-led government on planet Earth, a God-reflected government on planet Earth. He chose the Jewish people as the lead in this experiment that would one day bleed out into all the nations and all the people of the world. And he said, listen, if you will do what I've asked you to do, if you will listen carefully to my commands and you will follow them, I will give you prominence, such prominence that you will be above all the nations of the, earth, of the earth. This is his original intent, creating a system, a kingdom that operates here on earth that you and I are part of because we submit to the will and the purpose and the plan of God. If you have your Bible, New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to go from verse 9 and 10. We're going to read those here in just a minute. But Jesus, as we understand, is Lord over all domains and all influences and in a moment, we're going to get to what that means and how, that, how those particulars take shape in the world and how the Bible literally calls the God of the universe, the Jesus that we serve, calls him king so he can be a just Lord. Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. First uh, Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is New Testament. This is God talking to believers like us in a modern-day context of church. You are a chosen generation, a royal priest of the holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, that we have been pulled out of a broken and dead system. Listen, the reason it's hard out there to scale the walls of success are because it's a broken, dead system that is all about cheat, steal, scratch, claw to get your way to the top. But God promises in this new system that you have been set aside as a royal priesthood and a holy nation, that you are his special people, that he will move you along in your life's purpose and plan if you'll submit to his will and his ways. It doesn't mean that you will have to fight for advancement. Now, what does this mean in our modern context? Well, it's easy for a pastor to get caught up at times in a competition factor. We're better than the church down the road. Our doctrine is better. Our music is better. Our kids' programming is better. We have more people than they have. We have better facilities than they have. We have this, we have that, blah, blah, blah. You can go down the list. Pastors aren't immune to this idea. But the fact is, that's just, that's just the old dark dead system. That's the old system that was covered and shrouded in darkness that sees everything as a competition that sees every moment in life in a consumeristic mentality that there isn't enough people to go around, there isn't enough money to go around, there isn't enough land to go around, and eventually we're all fighting for the same space and people and, and resources. The fact is that's not true. You realize they print new money every day? 
They're going to print some today. It'll get in circulation later this year. They printed new money yesterday. They keep printing new money. In fact, we keep finding resources we didn't know we had buried in the earth. We invent new ways to extract resources. Some are healthy. Some aren't so healthy for the planet. But we, have, we invent new ways on how to produce all kinds of things that we consume every single day. Yet we act like there's some kind of a limit. Listen, there's so many cows on the planet and in the United States right now that we literally had legislation that said we should stop cow farts. That's stupid. Anyway, I don't want to get to a political thing. But there's so many cows, we're like, we should probably stop them from farting. Really? Do you know that in Jesus' day, if they had heard that statement, they'd have said, no, we should probably eat them because we don't have enough meat to go around. The fact is our country, our society, our culture is advancing at such a rapid pace that it's hard for us to keep up, and sometimes it's hard for us to find our place. And sometimes we get lost back into that system of darkness, and we don't transform our lives back into that system, that marvelous light that God has called us to. We need to come to a place where we understand that God's called you out of a dead system that doesn't work. God's called you out of a dead system that will require your soul to advance. He's called you to a system that if you give your life to him, he promises that you'll find your way to the top. Why is this? Because Jesus is Lord over all, all domains and all influences. He is the king of kings, making him a lord of justice. He is a true Lord of justice, as 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15 says. He is given the name Jehovah Jireh, God our provider, because he is a Lord, an a Lord in an economic sense, that he has a right way to get to you the finances. He has a right way and an honest way to get into your life the resources you need in an economic world. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 8. He is Father God because he is Lord of the family. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 6. He is not a distant God. He is not a God who's afar off. He is Father God. He is Daddy God. Even the Hebrews used to call him Abba, Father. It's wonderful when you go to, to Israel and you hear little kids running up to their dad and they use that word that we see written in scripture and they call out to their father, Abba, Abba, and the dad turns around and looks at their young son with love and compassion and kindness. And this is the same thing we see reflected in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 6, that we would call him Abba or Daddy God, that we are so close to him that we can respond to him just like a little child. He is God the creator because he is Lord over science and technology. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 6, that he's the creator of all things. He knows the intricacies of the planet. He knows the intricacies of your life, of your physical body. He knows how it's all woven and stuck together. There's nothing we can build on this planet that is more complex than the universe that we live in. And yet he spun it into existence with just a spoken word. He is the living word because he is the Lord of communication. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. He is literally this Bible personified, encapsulated in a person that he is communicating with every breath. 
He is communicating with every word. He is communicating with every motion. He is communicating with his very character, who he is to humanity. And he wrote it down in a book so that you and I, for generations after generation after generation, could learn of his exhausted, of his inexhaustible character. That we can never get the far reaches of who he is. We can never someday say, I finally understand God, but he is so far out communicating who he is, communicating his personhood to us that we will never find the ends. He is the potter because he is the Lord of art and beauty. Jeremiah chapter 18, he is the potter and we are the clay that he takes his hands and he begins to mold a beautiful vessel. He is an artisan that is determined to make something beautiful out of us, that he is determined to take the mess, the lump, the clay that is our life and craft it and mold it into something of use and value, but also into something that has intrinsic beauty and value that is, that, that is literally woven at the hands of an artist. He is the great teacher because he is the Lord of education. Psalms chapter 20, or 32 and verse 8 that he is the Lord of education, that he is the one that teaches all things, that there isn't anything in philosophy, there isn't anything in theology, there isn't any ideology that he himself cannot teach, that the spirit itself cannot deposit into your mind. You heard this morning as, as Scott gave an, a, a beautiful illustration of a man who was taught of God a new procedure and a new process on how to help God's people in the nation of Ireland that came from a system of education, a man submitting himself to the will of God and God transposing in his heart the very method that he needed to make a definitive statement in that land and in that country. Listen, I don't know how God's going to show up in your life if he's going to be that potter that starts to create something beautiful, something of an artistic value. I don't know if he's going to be that great teacher to pull back the shade and to teach you the secrets of the universe. I don't know if he'll be the living word in your life and help you learn to communicate what God has put on your heart in a better and a greater way. I don't know that he won't develop within you a love for science and technology because he's the creator of the world. I don't know that he won't hold you simply close as Father God to reconcile within you the broken aspects of your family here on the planet. I don't know that he won't show up as an economic God and a God of provision, as Jehovah Jireh, and pay off bills that you can't seem to cut down on your own, to find ways to give new monies into your life so that you can excel financially and finally get to that place that you've always dreamed of. And I don't know that he won't show up ultimately as justice, as king of kings in your life to show off his lordship. But I know for certain that in every one of these facets, we have only touched a very generic and general aspect of who he is. That we could study each one of these seven in depth for years and never understand the full on nature of God. That though he shows up in our lives in a personal nature, that it is for a reason that you and I would get to work demonstrating to the world what we've seen. That if he shows up in our life as king of kings, as a lord of justice, that we learn how to appropriate heaven's justice here on earth. That if he shows up in our life as the living word, as a God of communication, that we learn how to communicate his plan and his purpose to the world around us. However he shows up, it's for a purpose for you to take the mountain that God's called you to. 
Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 2. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. And we'll run out of time in a hurry. We want to set a difference between the, the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. You know, we've done a good job at times of putting notches in our belt to show off how we have gotten people saved, that we've brought them into this gospel of salvation. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked man rule, the people groan. We know this is so very true, even in our own country. There are times where we see city governments, we see local governments, state governments, even all the way up to national governments, and we see people who are in positions, and it's obvious they are not righteous before God, and decisions that they make bleed down to the people, and ultimately the people have sorrow because those who are at the top, those who are making policy decisions are not being led of God's spirit. And I don't care if you're an R or a D, it follows all of them. The fact is we should learn to pray for our leadership because when the righteous are in power, the, the word is very simple. The people learn to rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, there is groaning, there is hurt, there is torment. This brings us to this very specific issue that there is a difference between just being saved and a gospel of being saved as opposed to the gospel of God's kingdom. The gospel of, of salvation is, is it's transactional. God, I, I give you this prayer. I give you faith in you. I give you, I give you my life. And, and in, in that, God, I get heaven. This gospel of salvation it's where we hang our hats on evangelism. We scream on the sidewalks, you're going to hell. You need to repent. This gospel simply of salvation isn't interested in building people or growing people or developing people. It's just, did you make a decision today? Not that that decision isn't important, but it's just one step on the process. The gospel of salvation leads to books like the Left Behind series where we try to, we try to instill fear into people to get them out of, out of hell. Listen, I wish I was good enough to scare the literal hell out of you that you would be so scared by some monstrous story that I could tell that it would pull you away from hell and into heaven. We learn to occupy the space that God has given us. We as Christians come and we own our mountain. It's the difference evangelism as opposed to dominion and influence and culture that we don't just go out and shout a message, you're sick, you're twisted, you're broken, you're a sinner, and you're going to hell. But we go and we own our space and we develop a sense of influence in our mountain, that we learn to take over places of influence because we want to impose a gospel standard in our world and in our life. We go and we take the promised land. We take the land that Jesus has promised, the land in your life that he's promised, the land that he's promised for our, for our community, for this church, the land that he's promised in culture, that we go take the land that God has promised us. You know, if you're familiar with the story of the promised land, you had God's chosen people called out of an old oppressive kingdom where they were literally enslaved. He called them into freedom. They marched around the desert for generations. They found themselves 
almost lost and wandering in a wilderness. But finally they found a day where they submitted enough to the will of God that they found the promised land where God was calling them. And in that, they didn't work real hard to take the land. They didn't strategize and come up with this great battle plan. They simply obeyed the word of God, which looked ridiculous. March around the city walls one day. March around the city walls again. March around the city walls again. And on the last day, march seven times and blow and shout and rejoice and sing songs of praise and thanksgiving. And in that moment, the walls came falling down. This is the gospel of the kingdom, that we march to the place that God has called us to. And when we find that mountain that is ours, when we find that place of influence that is ours, we don't wage a battle, we don't pick up a weapon, we rejoice and we thank God for what he's planning to give us. Stopping at salvation is like sitting down after we cross the Jordan. If you're familiar with God's people and their, and their advent towards coming to the promised land, you'll know that they had to cross a massive body of water as they were being chased from an oppressive army that had to cross the Jordan. And in crossing the Jordan, before they would find their promised land, God parted the waters. He did the miraculous. He allowed them to cross on dry land, and then the pursuing army was drowned in that river. And for many of us, God does the miraculous and we sit down on the other side of the river. That's it. We don't go on to our promised land. We don't go from salvation to owning our place in God's kingdom. My problem is, and I think many times, I don't have a lot of time to get there, but we have an unbiblical view of work and ministry. We have an unbiblical view that we think work, the work that God has called us to put our hand to, and I know for some generations, work is like a four-letter word. Like, how dare you say I need to actually put out effort? You gotta do it. It's part of life. It's a good thing. It's a healthy thing to actually work, to come to the end of a day exhausted because you gave your all, to come to the end of the day and know that you just laid everything on the table. That's a good thing. That's a Bible principle. But sometimes we have so confused the definitions of work and ministry that we don't see how they ever, they, they, how they ever reconcile one to another. I'm going to read some scripture here real quick because I don't have a lot of time. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23 and verse 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Listen, this is God to people like us. Whatever you find yourself doing, I don't care if it's digging ditches, wiping snotty little noses of kids in school, whether it's a CEO of a, of a Fortune 500 company, I don't care where you find yourself in the middle. Do it because it's unto God and not because it's unto your employer. I promise you, when you learn to make work your ministry, you will excel the ladder in your place of work faster than anything. You will find yourself in a place of prominence. You will find yourself in a place uh, where you are being exalted because of what God is doing in your life. When work is ministry, when work is ministry, when we take work and we make it ministry, we do a couple of things. Work now starts to become worship. Every single day we go to work, we start to do it as a worshipful attitude towards God. 
And everything that we do, we start to thank God and praise him for the ability that we have to work, for the opportunities that we have to affect the lives of others. We start in on this ministry opportunity to thank God for the position and placement that he's given us. Ministry then, when work is ministry, ministry then equates to service. We learn to serve others. We learn to lower ourselves and to do what's best for the company, for the corporate culture, for those around us. We come to a place where we meet very basic human needs. I don't care if you're a server at Chick-fil-A, you're meeting a need and pushing that food across that table and saying thank you or saying you're welcome or whatever the phrase is that they say. My pleasure, there you go. I couldn't remember what it was there for a second. But when work, Sometimes one of us or many of us, we will work to minister. We go to job, we go to our job every day, but we don't see the value in it. We go to our jobs and we don't see that God placed us there. We don't we go to our, our place of employment and we don't see how God is transforming and transitioning this into our mission field. And so it just can only become a platform for you to yell and shout and scream your ideas for you to get into arguments and fight over the nuances of this or that, for you to tell people and exchange people with people, uh, fights back and forth through the, through the messaging and the IMing in your company just to win a place and to win an argument. It becomes a place of exchange. We give our time so that we can get money. We, get our money so, or we give our money so we can get more time. There's nothing in it of eternal value. The influence that we can have there is lost. Because it's lost, we don't see the social transformation that we could see. When one works only to minister later, we don't see the platform that God could be using to elevate our status to bring us up. Let me explain how this worked, how this has worked for me in the past, how this can work for you today. There are many times where I had jobs I didn't like. Many times. When I was in college and I was going uh, uh, you know, studying to, to do the pastor thing. You know, I, I, on the summer breaks, we all had time off and we had to figure out what we're going to do with our time off. And so I always had a little job here or there. And most of the time it was with a company that installed granite and marble. And so it's a big, heavy lifting job, but we're in houses all over the Quad Cities. <laughs> and I can remember this one time, we bring this big piece of stone in. It's been raining all day, so the stones were just soaked with water. We've got to dry it out. So we've got these big torches out, and we're, and we're uh, moving the torches over the back of the stone, back and forth, back and forth. And we laid it on this carpet where we knew it would be safe and it wouldn't get scratched, moving the torches back and forth. And some of you can tell what's going to happen. Back and forth. And we pull the stone up to place it after it's been dried off, and there's this faint burnt ring all the way around the stone in this woman's carpet. If you're here today, I'm sorry. I don't even remember who that was. It's been like 15 years, so you probably sold the house. But there's a big burnt ring. And the owner comes in, and he's freaking out. The owner of the company comes in. He's freaking out. We can't let him see this. Oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? I can't believe you idiots did this. All right, he's going crazy. I stopped for a second. I said, let's pray. There's got to be a solution. Pray. you got to fix it. I don't care about it. Pray. you got to get this done now. Pray. All of a sudden, it's like a bolt of lightning. The guy that I work with who, I don't know if the light bulb's all the way on. Like, he's a few things short of a full set or whatever the saying is, you know. He's just not all there. 
And he looks at the stain on the carpet, and he says, you know, I bet if we get down with really small scissors, we can just cut a light layer off the top. And I'm looking at him like, dude, I don't think that's going to work, but go ahead. And he sits down for two hours. He's massaging the carpet and cutting and massaging. And by the time he's done, you look back, you can't tell anything. Looks beautiful. Looks beautiful. I'm like thinking, you just cut four pounds of carpet out, but awesome. At least it looks good. We finish the job. We walk away. Perfect. Beautiful. Until we're about to leave. And this kid who's been snipping away at the carpet just can't hold it in. I feel a little bad in my own heart. I'm thinking, I can't walk away from this job and not tell him what happened. We look to the owner and he looks at the owner and owner of the company, owner of the house, standing there. Thank you, shaking hands, getting paid. The deal's about to be done. This young kid looks at the owner of the house. And says, By the way, we burnt a big hole in your carpet. Good Lord. But we prayed about it and God told us how to fix it. Walked the owner over to the living room, showed him where we had been. The owner looked down and said, you can't even tell anything. Anything happened. God told you how to fix this? Yeah, God told me. Are you on drugs? No. God told me how to fix it. God told us what to do. Well, whatever God said, it worked. Everybody walked away happy. Everybody walked away thrilled. Listen, in your life today, God is speaking in your environment of work. He is showing you innovative ways to get the job done. He is showing you ways that will impress your employer. He's showing you ways that will impress the buyer or the, or the client or the consultant. Whoever it is, God is putting things in your heart, showing you different ways so that you can excel and stand out in your company. And even if you're a little dim-witted, God will speak to you. We have these wrong assumptions about what work is, that somehow we are finally going to get to a place where we can set aside work and follow God's purpose, follow God's ministry, follow God's path for us. Don't wait till you retire to finally do what God's called you to. If he's placed you in a mountain, learn how to take it to the top. Learn how to ride that mountain all the way to a place of influence so they can't do the job without you. My family, we're blessed to have a few really smart people. I'm not one of them, but we're blessed to have a few really smart people. I have a, a cousin who is just an absolute genius. God-gifted, absolute genius. He worked so hard for a local company that when he moved away, they said, we'll pay you anything. You've got to come back. He named his price and got bonuses and benefits on top of that. Came back to work for the company. Decided he wanted to retire. He said, I don't want to work anymore. I've worked enough. I'm in my 40s. I feel I put in enough time. I, I just, I'm just done. I want to live with my family. I've put enough money aside. We can live on what we have. The company said, we can't, we can't do this without you. So how about we make you a consultant? You set your own hours. We'll bring you in on a private jet, in and out on a private jet, whatever you would like. We'll pay your fee, your normal hourly fee for whatever you want. We'll bring you to a place where we will pay for everything. You just can't quit because we're going to need you, and we know we're going to need you someday. Some of you are in this room, and similar companies have done the same thing for you. They put you in a place where they just can't say no to you because you're that valuable. 
You, you, you've grown to a place in the company where if you leave, the whole house of cards falls on itself or they're not willing to train a new person because it'll take too much time, energy, and effort. Listen, if you're in that place, please understand, you have created an incredible opportunity for ministry. They're literally telling you, we want your voice and we're gonna pay you handsomely for it. Understand that when you get to that place, you can do anything you want. In fact, that's a place for most of us to work to. Get to a place in our workspace where we can say, listen, I'll work here, and here's my demands, and here's the finances that I want. But on top of that, don't ever tell me I can't mention Jesus. Don't ever tell me. I'm not going to go crazy. You know me. You've known me for years. I'm not going to go nuts. But don't ever tell me that I can't have a Bible study. Don't tell me that I can't at least express my religious values. Don't put me in a box because now I've earned my place in your company. That's what it is to have real influence. That we come to a place where they can't live without you and you get to start to set your own rules for what God's called you to. The wrong assumption is that we believe that we can change culture through just a religious mountain only. That we believe that we can have enough prayer conferences and spiritual warfare conferences and conferences on faith that we can change a culture without investing time in the culture. Let me be honest, you're already investing time. You might as well make it worth it. You're already investing time. Every day you go to work, you might as well make it mean something of greater value. See your workplace as an opportunity for ministry, and I guarantee you, you will scale that mountain quickly. Now, what I'm not saying is that at every turn, you have to be preaching Jesus. What I'm not saying is that at every turn, that you have to be shouting glory, hallelujah, and standing on your soapbox in your cafeteria and demanding that people make a decision that day. But what I am saying is to use the opportunities that God's put in front of you. There is a coworker, there is an employer, there is somebody in your sphere of influence who needs to hear the message of Jesus. They're there. Every day, they're there and they're around you and they're begging for the answer that you have. And the moment that you give it to them in a servant leadership mentality, you will solidify your place in that company. You will solidify your place in that person's heart like you could never see without the words, without the conversation, without the gift that is the life-giving presence of Christ. God will give you the opportunities. He will open those doors so that you can present Jesus full on. And I don't care if your corporate culture says you're not allowed to talk about religion. There is a reality that when you are Jesus with skin on, eventually the Jesus in you comes out. We have to learn that work and ministry are not polar opposites of each other, but they come together as one mission in our life. A few months ago, you all, most of you remember that Bill Munson had a stroke. And in that stroke, it was devastating. They weren't sure he was even going to go back to work. You know, every, every day that he goes back to work, it's a testimony to those people. And I know, I know that he's not crazy outright with it, doing hallelujah, praise you, Jesus. At every, at every turn, he's, he's cunning. He's, he's, he's sly with it, how he moves in Jesus. I know because I know the man. That he gives, he allows God to give him the opportunity to show off when God gives him the opportunity. And God gave him a great opportunity that every day that he goes back to work with all of his faculties after having that stroke, it's a testament to a healing power of God. That the doctors couldn't have explained it. 
that there's nothing that could have happened by medical means, but yet every time those workers see him, even though he's just Bill and he's back to being Bill and doing his job as he did before he left, every time they see him, it's a testament to the miraculous power of God. A man that should have been dead is now back to work. Listen, work is a value in our culture. And again, if it's become a four-letter word in your mind, you need to learn to change it and rearrange it. It's an opportunity for ministry that allows you to own your mountain. Amen?